Well, good morning, church. I'm so delighted and honored to be sharing God's word with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Jesus' prayer in John 17, his magnificent prayer. You may know it as the high priestly prayer. And so if you will open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to John 17, and if you don't have one handy, the words will be printed for us on the screen. Well, it almost goes without saying, these last several months have been met with extraordinary challenges. And my sense is that when we began this journey several months ago, that we each thought it would be somewhat short-lived and we may do with the lack of getting together and interruption to our normal routines. But as the weeks turned into months, and each time we tried to plan something, there were more questions than answers, my sense is that our optimism has turned more to a level of despair and perhaps perhaps fatigue and weariness. And if that is you this morning, if that is your heart, be of good cheer. When people's, God's people gather to worship him and sing and hear his word and pray, he promises to strengthen us, doesn't he? Recently, I heard the interview of a five-year-old daughter of a hospital worker, and she said, my mommy is a nurse. She is a essential worker. And the reporter said, really? What does that mean? And she thought for a second, and she said, it means I don't get to hug her, and she sleeps in the basement. As if the ripple effects of the COVID concerns weren't enough, the stresses and strains of a global pandemic have exposed the fractures that lie just beneath our culture's surface, racial violence and tension, domestic and child abuse, unemployment and homelessness are all on the rise. One high school valedictorian addressed his fellow students at graduation and said, it seems just as we were stepping out, our world is falling apart. Hindsight will literally be 2020. Historians will write about this year and it will be 2020, but for now, we're in the middle of what feels like uncharted territory. If we ever needed a compass and the needs of our, and the words of our unfailing savior, it's now, don't you agree? So as we prepare to engage with him in his word, will you pray with me? Oh, gracious father, we thank you for your word. And we know that these words were written by your Holy Spirit and that only you can use them to transform us, to change us from the inside out. Now more than ever, we long to hear from you. Be with us, be gracious in our seeking as we open your word as a church family. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. As we begin, it's helpful to remember the context of Jesus' prayer that we're about to read. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and it's the night of Passover, the night before his death, and the air is thick with tension. You could say that there are more questions than answers. Because over the course of the evening, Jesus has shared that he must leave, that one of them would betray him, and that another would deny him. 
And it's as if with every bit of news he shares, they realize things are going to get worse before they're better. And then he says these words, in this world there will be trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then our passage begins. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, this is the first time in John's gospel that Jesus has said the hour has come. It's the first time that he's looked at his watch, so to speak. Back in chapter 2, to his mother he said, the time is not, my time is not yet here. To his disciples back in chapter 7, he says, the time is not yet right. But now he says, the time has come. And so in the presence of his disciples, Jesus is saying he knows the purpose. He was sent into the world. And what is his first request? Well, now, before we get right into that, someone's prayers are important, right? Our prayers are significant because they often reveal the most essential things that are on our heart and our mind. And as Jesus is about to embark on this most important journey of his life, what will he pray for? Well, this prayer is the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament, and we will only be able to cover his three main petitions. So I invite you later, I pray that you'll be compelled to go back and consider all the riches that he has for us in this prayer. But his three petitions are this. First, he prays for himself, as we've just heard. Secondly, he prays for his disciples. And finally, he prays for those who will believe their message. And so in this first petition, the first thing Jesus prays for is that the Father would glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify the Father. And John often refers to the death and resurrection of the crucifixion of Jesus as glorification. But I ask you, what kind of glory is that? We know that crucifixion was the most humiliating, painful, shameful way to die. And the death of perhaps the maniacal rabbi wouldn't have even made the evening news. And so what is this first point? What are we trying to say here? Well, I believe that immediately we see in the opening verses a stark contrast between the gospel of a worldly king and the gospel of King Jesus. You know what a gospel is. It's good news. It's good news sent out to declare the glorious victory of a mighty king. The worldly king is all about using his power and authority to glorify himself, not with Jesus. He asked to glorify himself by giving up his life. A worldly king may build a monument 
just to prove to the world how great he or she is. Not Jesus. His gospel is all wrapped up by completing the work the Father has sent him to do. And in verse 3 he says, I was sent to bring eternal life to all the Father had given me by becoming our perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now the emperor king in Jesus' day, King Caesar, would demand that you give your life for him. King Jesus gives his life for you. Christ the victim, Christ the priest, you give your body for the feast. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Christ's death on the cross wins for us the eternal life that becomes, and he becomes, our great high priest. Now in our world today, we don't hear much need for a great high priest We'd much rather blame our problems and the world's problems on a lack of education or a lack of resources or misguided policy or perhaps our problems stem because we are deeply divided along political lines. And while each of these are terribly important and Jesus cares about the way we live out his gospel in the world, if we begin here rather than acknowledging the real problem, is a sinful humanity. All of our ways to fix ourselves and our world will be short-lived at best. And Jesus promises us at the end of that, we will be seeking our glory. In other words, all the motives will end up being for us to build worldly empire, worldly kingship. G.K. Chesterton writes, The doctrine of sin is perhaps the easiest of all scripture to observe. Any man on the street can see it clearly. And we can talk a long time about the implications of a sinful humanity. But in light of Christ's beautiful prayer, I think it's helpful just to ponder one. And that is, sinful humanity's bent over upon ourselves. Each of us are prone to seek our own glory for our sake, to pursue our own praise and our adoration for our accomplishments, rather than to glorify God, but not Jesus. Jesus and his glory through his death and resurrection rescues us from the power of sin and transform our sinful need to seek glory for ourselves. You see, he restores the relationship our hearts and minds most desperately need and want. And that's verse 3, to know the only true God, Jesus Christ. Now, most of us have grown up in church, and we know that the Father sent the Son, and we know that all who will believe in him to save us from our sins means we are promised with eternal life. And if that is you this morning... I say, don't let that fall on deaf ears. In John's gospel, there are some riches to unearth, and one of them is this. The eternal life that Jesus promises and that he brings is the kingdom life now. And we know that because he says eternal life, what? To know God. And in the Greek New Testament, that verb to know, they use two words for our one. One is to know a body of material, a subject, to master the knowledge 
of a subject. But the other, which is what our text refers to, is to know a growing relationship with a person. Eternal life then means to know God here in the presence. This is the kingdom life you and I are given because our Savior lays down his glory for a cross. Nicodemus in John 3 was searching for this. You know, he was a Pharisee, an elite member of a Sanhedrin, and he finds Jesus in the night. He doesn't want anybody to know. This is a man of the law. He knew God. He knew the law. But he was missing that relationship. And he, he'd heard Jesus preach or he was witnessed a miracle. And he's like, Rabbi, I know that you came from God. But what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus' response is that it's yours for the asking. You must be born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. And so we, we are not in a relationship to know about God. We could Google search all day long. It's not a bad idea, but there's a world of difference about knowing about God and knowing him. Now, as we move through this prayer in each of Jesus' petition, we see that Jesus inherently, as he's praying to the Father in the disciples' earshot, he issues an invitation and a challenge within each petition. And I believe, no doubt, this first one is the invitation to receive the gift of eternal life, right? To know God. But I think there's also a challenge. And that is, where in our life have we sought our own glory instead of his? There's no shame. The truth is, we all start there. Everyone must start from the journey this exchange of glory, seeking glory for ourselves, comes in many forms. Those that see themselves and their place in this world as a victim, all life happens to them. Those that see themselves and their place in the world as entitled, all of life is for them. But as we'll see later in the prayer, those that have received this gift of eternal life and experienced daily the precious gift to know Jesus through his word, understand that he empowers and all of life is through them. You are divinely commissioned, which we'll see. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Jesus takes us further. Verse 13. He says now, after praying for himself, he begins to pray for his disciples. John 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things in the presence. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified.
Now that's a very rich and action-packed prayer. But the main idea is this. As Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, he sends his followers. And those who follow Jesus understand that when they go into the world, they are to have the word. They are to be living sent. Well, what does living sent look like? Well, as we interact with people in our lives, family and friends, our neighbors and coworkers, those whom we will meet, as we embody Christ's teaching and point to him, as a result, those around us will experience a little of what it's like to live in the kingdom right now because the light of Christ shines in you. But immediately Jesus presents a problem and a big tension. The problem comes in 14. What is it? He says that when we are sent into the world and we take the word into the world, that we bring our light into darkness and we live by kingdom values and the world will take notice and some will hate us for it. And so then what does Jesus say? Well, then that's okay. Don't go. No. Verse 15, he says, Well, then my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, Father, but that you protect them from the evil one. Christian, Jesus intercedes for you. Your great high priest prays for your protection as you are sent into the world with the word. Then he names another tendency. And this is the one that we face day in and day out. In fact, if we don't face it, we probably need to check in with him about that. And and that's in verse 16. He says, there are two camps to fall on as you are sent into the world with my word. And I want you to avoid this. One camp is to become so cozy and so assimilated and perhaps worship the blessings that I've given you in this life more than me, the giver of those blessings, that you lose your influence. The other camp is to be so isolated that you really have no cultural influence. You have no relationships with people who don't believe in me. And Jesus says, you are to be in the world and not of the world. Do you find that hard? I do. Daily, right? But in this passage, Jesus answers both of those issues by saying he, he prays for us. In Luke's gospel, as Jesus prepares Simon Peter for the mission that he will have ahead of him, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, if Simon Peter were all about claiming his own glory in this world, he would have been devastated. And he was devastated. You and I would be devastated by denying your best friend three times. But we know that the risen Jesus meets with Simon Peter and restores him back to mission. 
You know, Jesus loves nothing better than faith that's been tested. You and I can do the risky business of being in the world with the word because Jesus prays for you and me. And so we understand that the foundation of our divine commission that he gives us here is in verse 18. It really could be the first verse of this petition. And that is that he sanctifies us. Now the word sanctify, a lot of people think that just means holy and they think it means holier than thou, but it means set apart, consecrated. And Jesus says, I've sanctified sanctified." myself so that you are able to be sanctified in the world and here's what I believe this divine commission means for us as we are in the world with the word we are being sanctified it is through that time of being with people who perhaps are putting the pieces of their faith in Jesus together When we do the things, love your enemies. When we care for the hungry and the poor and the marginalized, and we're not seeking glory for ourselves, when we are sent into the darkness, he is sanctifying us. But there are two hard edges that come back, and that is if we go into the world with a great mission but not the word, We go in our own strength, right? Have you ever done that? It's not good. Or we just don't go. Sometimes we like to talk about the eternal life that we've received to know God with company that thinks just like us. But the first verse in this petition, verse 13, says that We're going to know the full measure of joy, of his joy, when we participate in this mission. That word sent in John is apostoli, apostle, to be sent, Christian, disciple. Your joy comes from finding your purpose in the world. Teachers know that, right? When we help our student find her purpose in the class or on the team, There's a sense of accomplishment in a good way. This is what Jesus says, I've gifted you. That's a sermon for another day. But the Holy Spirit comes with gifts, gifts to be used in the kingdom. When we use those gifts not to glorify ourselves, we're living in the kingdom. And the world notices. And that takes us to the next petition. Verse 20. (coughs) Excuse me. In Jesus' third petition, Jesus prays for those who will hear the message. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now there's a lot there. But first, verse 20, I pray for those who will believe. Christian, that's us. Did you know that before you knew Jesus, he was praying for you? And so with that same prayer of intercession that he prays for for those first disciples, 
Jesus reaches his arm through the long hall of time and prayed for you and prays for you and strengthens you. Ephesians is all about the church and Ephesians 2 begins that we are dead in our trespasses, dead in our transgressions. And by the end of that chapter, through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus with good works that he created for you to do. And when we do that, when we're aligned with his mission, we glorify God. Now, our last verse. Well, before we go there, what do you think the, the disciples thought as they're listening to their Savior pray for the people that they're going to be sent for. Wow, Jesus prayed with confidence, didn't he? Because he's going ahead of them. You can too. You can be confident in that as well. Each time we have a baptism, we just had one. We are welcoming someone into this family on mission. And we are promising as a church family to teach that child Teach and also teach them the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus. And walk with them. And that's what a family on mission does. Now our last verse. Verse 21. So important. In what does our unity rest? I think we get this awfully wrong sometimes. We get this very confused. But if we just looked at this passage alone... He answers us, our unity rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Those first few verses. And the divine commission to which he's called us. That's what we are to be unified about. How will the world know that Jesus is the Son of God? When they see the love we have for one another. John says that in 13, John 13. Tim Keller, Presbyterian minister and author, writes, The real secret of our fruitful and effective mission in the world is the quality of our community. Just as the single most formative experience in our lives is membership in a nuclear family, so the main way we grow in grace and holiness is through deep involvement in the family of God. That's us. Dear friend, the church in each generation is called to answer these questions. How well are you, how well am I, demonstrating the reconciling love of the gospel and equipping others to engage the culture in which we live? In this prayer, within each petition, Jesus gives us an invitation and a challenge. What gets in the way of the church being the family on mission. Just a few closing thoughts. Number one, in spite of a sacrificial love of a Savior who brings eternal life so that we may know him, a church that fails to live in her mission seeks the glory of her own, either individually or corporately. Secondly, when we forget we're on mission, we forget we are living sent where we live, work, and play. And we become too infatuated with our blessings. 
Or conversely, we, we fail to take the word with us in the world. And finally, when we do not make his, the ministry of reconciliation visible for the world to see, each of these things interfere with the family of mission, the design that God created us to be. You have been divinely commissioned. Let us go into the world with his word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do thank you so much for your incredible prayer that both invites and challenges, calls and sends us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would trade your glory for our sake and for the precious work on the cross. May we be glorifying to you in the way we respond. May we be people that do not seek our own glory, but that would love one another so well that the world would know that you were sent by the Father. Take our lives, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.